Section 7 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 15. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 15. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 7. Uncle Pete and the Bear. A Yankee Story from Real Life and Real Incidents. By Seba Smith. Among the different sections of this widely extended and variegated country, I question whether any portion of equal extent can exhibit more richness of landscape or more wildness, beauty, and grandeur of scenery than the state of Maine. The western prairies are beautiful and grand, but their beauty and grandeur are like the ocean in a calm summer's day, with its smooth, unruffled bosom and its long, rolling swell while much of the scenery of Maine resembles the same ocean when lashed into fury by the raging storm and dashing and breaking its foamy waves into rugged hills and mountains. Go with me to a somewhat central spot in Maine, inland from the ocean near a hundred miles. Here we stand upon the broad and bare back of a rough granite mountain. It extends north and west of us in broken ridges for several miles. Now and then you behold the trunk of a dry pine, which has been felled by the fire, and stretched upon the gray rock like the straggling hairs upon the bald head of an old man. And here and there you see patches of low shrubbery bending beneath the weight of thick clusters of the blue whortleberry. Look away to the north, and your eye rests for half a dozen miles on a level of track of rich forest then arises abruptly a cone-like mountain throwing its peaked summit far into the clouds and standing like a sentinel on duty to overlook the country for many miles round in the distance beyond both to the right hand and the left you see mountain after mountain with their round shaggy tops swelling and rolling height above height till they are lost among the misty clouds or rest in softened lines against the clear blue sky now turn your eyes to the eastward, look down almost beneath your feet, and behold one of the most beautiful sheets of water to be found in the world. It washes the base of the rough granite mountain on which we stand, spreading out in a circular basin of three or four miles in diameter, then passing a narrow frith on the eastern side. Of less than a quarter of a mile, it widens again and stretches away between ridges of highlands, some six or seven miles farther to the eastward. It is now a calm summer's day, and the bright basin on which we are looking is reflecting from its smooth glassy surface the dark forest trees on the swelling shore. The huge cliff on the promontory's height and the broad sides of the mountain that fill up the background so calm and still is the beautiful lake that a fairy might float on its bosom in the half-shell of a hummingbird's egg without danger of foundering at sea or wetting her wings but let the eddying winds begin to move round these old hills and mountains and they brush down upon the lake with such power that in half an hour's time its white-capped waves are rolling and dashing like a mimic ocean and the hardy lumberman in his light bateau pulls for the nearest shore to avoid being drenched or drowned in the foaming surge. The name of this beautiful collection of water is the Sebec Pond, and the spot where we are now standing at the head of this pond is about fifteen miles from Moosehead Lake. Turn and look away a little to the left, and you will see the Wilson Stream, 
a lovely little river winding its bright way among the trees near the base of the opposite ledgy hills gliding gently across the interval and carrying its silent water into the deep basin before us deep it truly is corresponding with the high and broken hills around it for i have been told that in some parts of this pond the bottom has never been reached although lines have been let down to the distance of several hundred feet you observe a few acres of cultivated land on the interval between the wilson stream and the base of the granite mountain on which we are standing and there close by the margin of the river you see a small low house in that house there lives and has lived for some ten years past an old man by the name of peter braun he is often designated in that vicinity by the familiar appellation of uncle pete nothing however could be more appropriate than his true name so accurately and forcibly does the sign represent the thing signified for a more vigorous athletic and brawny old man you will not find one in a thousand he must be over seventy years of age for his long thin locks are silvery white and though he has one or two children in their minority still with him he has numerous daughters who have reached the middle age of life and gone abroad into the world with families of their own the old man is full six feet in height and stands as straight as an arrow he is neither decidedly fleshy nor lean but stout bony and muscular from his natural constitution the habits of life he evidently possesses great strength and is capable of enduring great hardships he has for many years been a sort of pioneer to the frontier settlers in the interior of maine always keeping a little in advance of them preferring to live alone in the woods where unshackled by the restraints of society or the statute he can feel that he is monarch of all he surveys and lord of the fowl and the brute i am told that before taking up his residence in this wild spot he had several times pitched his tent in the wilderness and tarried for a few years till civilization and settlements overtook him and thickened around him to such a degree as to become inconvenient and troublesome when he would pull up stakes and push farther into the woods the place where he now resides is an unincorporated town of wild land and being somewhat difficult of access except by coming up the pond from sebec a distance of about a dozen miles uncle pete has lived for something like ten years in a condition of tolerably satisfactory independence he raises some provisions on his cultivated acres and procures some game from the woods and when these sources fail he takes his hook and line and goes out to some of the ponds or streams in the neighborhood and returns with a load of trout and other varieties of finny tribe for calico tea and tobacco and other boughten articles of use or luxury he goes now and then to sebec with a canoe-load of shingles and clabberds which are his regular articles of export but civilized life is again treading upon the heels of uncle pete the towns around him are becoming thickly settled and though there is but one other family on the township with him yet the visits of proprietors and proprietors agents are becoming so frequent and they cast such scrutinizing glances upon the sundry pine stumps which they occasionally find on the premises that uncle pete grows restless and uneasy he feels that he is rather crowded upon and sometimes talks of settling out 
It was in autumn of 1836 that I first visited this wild spot, and first saw or heard of anything of Uncle Pete. Stopping at the house of an old man, another pioneer of the frontier settlers, some six or eight miles from this spot, I heard the old man remark while conversing with another, "'Well, Uncle Pete's had a squabble with a bear lately, ain't he?' I at once felt a curiosity to learn the history of this squabble, and accordingly made some inquiries, in answer to which I learnt the general outline of the story, and subsequently obtained the details and the filling up from Uncle Pete himself. It was a bright and calm summer's morning. The quiet pond was sleeping in the sunshine, harmless and beautiful, and every surrounding object in nature looked lovely and inviting. There is something in the effect of a fine landscape, viewed from under favorable circumstances, which may be compared to music. It hath charms to soothe the savage beast. Even Uncle Pete felt its influence as he sat on a little bench by the side of his cottage, yawning and looking listlessly across the still waters, and following the outline of forest tree and hilltop and mountain that hung below the watery horizon as well defined as clear and distinct, and even with more softness than those which were towering above. While he gazed, he was seized with a desire for an aquatic excursion. He called his youngest boy, a lad of about a dozen years, and told him to get the hooks and lines, and they would go around the point of the mouth of Shippen's stream and try for trout. The apparatus was soon in readiness, and they jumped into his little log canoe and paddled off upon the lake. "'We hadn't got but a little ways round the pint,' said Uncle Pete, "'and I was setting in the star and paddling along at a moderate jog, "'and little Pete was setting in the bow, "'and by and by he called out to me and says he, "'Oh, father, what great black critter is that swimming toward us?' "'I look around toward the shore, "'and there was the tarnalest great overgrown bear "'that I had ever seen in all my life, "'swimming right toward us. "'If he had been weighed, I believe he would have been weighed "'every pound of four hundred. I never examined Uncle Pete's head phrenologically, and cannot say whether his organ of marvelousness was of extra size or not. The reader must therefore be content with such evidence as we have with regard to the weight of the bear, and that rests solely on Uncle Pete's word and judgment. He always stood to it that the bear would weigh four hundred pounds. "'And the tarnal critter,' said Uncle Pete, "'was pulling right toward us as fast as he could swim.' "'and I been a careless in coming away "'that I only took one small paddle with me, "'and that wasn't a very good one, "'and the old canoe was rather heavy, "'so I found, do best I could, "'the bear could swim faster than I could paddle. "'But I thought I could keep him off well enough "'if he could set out to meddle with us, "'so I turned the boat and paddled a little toward him. "'I thought that would make him turn around, but the savage kept swimming right toward us and come up to the side of the canoe and he began to open his mouth and show a great ugly set of teeth as ever you see. He come up so nigh that I hit him lick over the head with the paddle and split it in two. At that he came right up to the boat fiercer than ever and put his paw right on one side of it. I sprung to the middle of the boat and bore upon to other side of it for I knew if I didn't we would upset in a minute and I thought I shouldn't like very well to have a grapple with him in the water. So while I was keeping the balance of the boat, the rascally old varmin pokes up t'other paw and begins to crawl up. I couldn't go to fight him off, for there we should all go into the water together.' 
so I had to hold still and see the great black nigger crawl clear up into the boat. He got in pretty near the starn, and I stood about the middle. As soon as he got fairly in, he looked round to me, and then he reared right up on his hind legs and walked toward me as straight as a man. He was as tall as I was and looked as big as a clever young ox. I stood facing him, and while I was thinking how it was best to give battle to him, he marched straight up to me and put one paw on my right shoulder and t'other on my left. Thinks I, this is being a little bit too sociable for a stranger, and I was just a-going to tell him hands off, when his weight pressing against me made me step back a little, and my heel struck against something in the boat, and I fell flat on my back in the bottom of the boat, and the old bear on top of me. By this time, I begun to think matters was getting worse, and it was time for me to begin to look about myself. I twisted one way and t'other, and we begun to have a considerable squabble. But the old bear had altogether the advantage of me, and I couldn't seem to do much. I tried to get a hold of my jackknife, but I couldn't get it out of my pocket. All I could do. The old bear didn't seem to be willing to wait to give me fair play at all for in the minute I felt him trying to stick his huge tusks into my forehead, just as a boy digs his teeth into the side of a great apple, thinks I, this'll never do. Something must be done pretty quick. I made a terrible twist and drawed my legs up under him and got so I could give a push with my feet and my knees and my hands, and all to once I fetched an everlasting spring, and how I did it I don't know, but somehow or other the old bear went overboard and plunged head foremost into the water. I was on my feet as quick as a steel trap. The old bear come up to the top of the water and snorted and looked up at me a minute, but I believe I had fairly scared him out of it. He turned about and swum for the shore, and I paddled for home. When I got to the house, I told my wife we'd have some potatoes for dinner and let the fish go. End of section 7